Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. We're all journeying through life and meeting strangers on the road. How do we know when we've met someone special? How do we know when we've met Jesus? Join us now for the message, The Road to Emmaus. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. You know, we're all journeying through life and we're meeting strangers on the road. So how do we know when we've met someone special? How do we know when we've met Jesus? Well, stay tuned for a little bit later for our message, The Road to Emmaus. From Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 36. Listen now to the word of God. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about, about all things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who, who does not know the things that have been taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And now our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going to Going, He walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us, that same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has been indeed, has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told them what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the preaching of the bread of the word. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Last spring, during the liturgical seasons of Lent and Easter, we re-examined some of the stories surrounding that first 
Easter by reimagining them as the characters in the story. And I call that sermon series Easter in the First Person. And as part of that series, we reimagined the story of Emmaus from the perspective of that named disciple Cleopas and his, also his unnamed wife, Mary. At the time, I chose the name Mary for his wife because scholars have told us that as many as one in three women in first century Palestine was named Mary. That's why we find so many of them in the New Testament. And I always kind of have to think about that. What if they had had elementary school back then and all the first graders came in, a third of them being named Mary? How confusing that would be. But here is the story of Cleopas and Mary as we explored it and reimagined it last year. Cleopas and Mary had known Jesus for only about a year. They had met him the year before when his disciples had come down for Passover. They had been introduced through their mutual friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And like their friends Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, Cleopas and Mary lived in a small village that was outside Jerusalem. In their case, the village of Emmaus, which was about seven miles outside the city. From the very beginning, Cleopas and Mary had been mesmerized by Jesus, and they hung on to every word that he uttered. And evidently, others found him just as mesmerizing as they did, because there was even talk that Jesus might be a Messiah, that is, a leader anointed by God to deliver Israel. For 70 years at this point, the Jews had been under the thumb of the Roman Empire, and surely it was not God's intention to continue to let Israel be dominated by foreign powers. Cleopas and Mary began to have hope that Jesus just might be that long-awaited-for deliverer. They had also hoped that Jesus would reveal himself as the Messiah during the upcoming Passover festival. They were there as Jesus triumphantly entered the city of Jerusalem the Sunday before Passover and confidently strove into the temple where he cleansed it of all the money changers that were there. But the jubilation did not last. By Thursday, Jesus had been arrested. And on Friday, the Roman governor had sentenced Jesus to death by crucifixion for sedition against the state. He was, after all, the king of the Jews. There was talk of rounding up all his other followers as well, so most of the men had gone into hiding. And that left just the women to stay with Jesus until the end. So with Cleobus laying low, his wife Mary stood with Jesus' mother and her sister, as well as Mary Magdalene. Friday night and all day Saturday was just a fog. Those who were left gathered and tried to comfort one another, but the tragedy and the grief was almost too much to bear. Cleopas and Mary just held each other, clinging together and wondering how they could have been so wrong. They decided that Sunday they would head back to Emmaus and try to pick up the pieces of their lives. As they got ready to leave on Sunday, the women who had gone early that morning to anoint Jesus' body suddenly returned and started telling a confused and very unbelievable story. They said Jesus' tomb was empty. The body was gone. And supposedly they talked to two strange men who said that Jesus had risen from the dead. Peter immediately ran down to the tomb. He saw that it was empty, but he didn't see anyone or anything else. At this news, Cleopas and Mary just got more confused and agitated. 
It was bad enough that Jesus had been killed, but now it looked like someone had broken into the tomb, desecrated the grave, and stolen the body. And now it looked like some of the disciples were even starting to hallucinate. It was time to go back to Emmaus. It was time to go home. As Cleopas and Mary walked along the road to Emmaus, they just talked and they tried to process everything that had happened that week. And as they walked and talked, a stranger came up beside them and asked them what they were talking about. They just looked at each other uh, and then they looked at the stranger with their faces drawn in grief. And Cleopas said, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He and Mary then proceeded to tell the stranger the whole story, including this last part about the women's outrageous claim that two mysterious men had told them that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Then a surprising thing happened. Instead of scoffing at such an unbelievable tale, the stranger gently scolded them for their lack of belief. He then began to explain how all of Scripture had led up to this very point. The Messiah's mission was not to save Israel from suffering. It was to save Israel, and indeed the whole world, through suffering. As they reached Emmaus, the stranger began to walk on, but Cleopas and Mary insisted that he stay with them for the night. He accepted their invitation and turned to stay in their house. As they sat down for dinner, another peculiar thing happened. Though he was the guest, the stranger picked up the loaf of bread as if he were the host. He then blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And at that very moment, in a twinkling of an eye, they suddenly realized that they were in the presence of Jesus. And just as quickly, he vanished from their sight. Cleopas and Mary sat there for a moment trying to comprehend what they had just witnessed. And finally they spoke, saying, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? Then they remembered the last time they had ever felt that kind of warmth. It is when they had last listened to Jesus teaching in the temple. At that point, they knew what they had to do. Even though it was after dark, Cleopas and Mary started the seven-mile trek back to Jerusalem. And there they found the other disciples. But before they could tell their story, they heard that Jesus had appeared to Peter. So it was true. Jesus had risen. In amazement, they told everyone how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. You know, Christ rarely appears to us how or why or where we expect. Like a stranger on the road, Christ come to us, comes to us cloaked and mysterious. In Shakespeare's Henry V, the king dresses as a common soldier in order to mingle unrecognized with his men on the eve of battle. And in, the, and in the third Lord of the Rings movie, The Return of the King, Eowyn, the niece of the King of Rohan, dresses as a soldier herself in order to fight to defend her people. And in these stories, at just the right time, the veil is lifted and the true identity of the stranger is made known. And it's like that with Christ. Christ. 
Are Christ's sightings are fleeting and elusive, dancing on the edges of our awareness and perception. Of course, Christ is always walking beside us. But there are times when Christ travels incognito, and other times when Christ is made more manifest. I do have to mention briefly that it does remind me, however, of a cartoon that I saw once. And I believe at the time I shared it with our Bible study. And it's based on that famous poem, Footprints in the Sand. In the first frame of the cartoon, it shows one set of footprints in the sand with the caption, This is when I carried you. And the second frame shows again that one set of footprints, but this time with two parallel lines running beside the footprints. And the caption saying, This is when I dragged your ass. I love that cartoon. (laughs) Seriously, however, there are times when we better perceive Christ's presence than other times. And our passage today suggests three ways that we can better perceive Christ. And those three ways start with, all start with the letter S, and they are scripture, stranger, and sacrament. First of all, scripture. The more we are immersed in Scripture, the more we see Christ. As Jesus walks beside Cleopas and Mary, he opens up the Scripture to them, allowing them to see and understand the Bible's great themes and how they point to Christ. Likewise, when we read or study Scripture, especially the Gospels, we see portraits of Jesus giving us guidance in all the ways that we can perceive God and in all the ways that we should be living our own lives. I've often talked to you about the Wesleyan quadrilateral, that fourfold set of guidelines that Methodists use to discern our doctrine and theology. And they are scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. And of these four, we say that scripture has primacy. That is, scripture carries more weight than the others. Now, there can be honest disagreements concerning exactly how much more weight it carries, Only a little more weight, or a great deal more weight? United Methodism, in its wisdom, leaves room for a variety of ways to understand what we mean by the primacy of Scripture. But as I've told you before, the one thing that virtually all theologians agree on, from the most right-wing conservative to the most left-wing radical, is this. If you are willing to read and study and wrestle with that book, the Bible, you will find that it is here that you will meet God face to face. Scripture itself is holy ground. And sometimes I think that we should be taking off our shoes every time we venture into its pages. And just as Jesus opened up the Scripture to Cleopas and Mary, the Spirit of Jesus, that is the Holy Spirit, will open up scripture to us so that we too can see the footprints of Christ running through its pages and then see the footprints of Christ walking there beside us as we make our way through life. The next way that the story of Emmaus suggests as a way to recognize Jesus beside us is through the stranger and more precisely in all the ways that we offer hospitality to the stranger. 
if Cleopas and Mary had not invited the stranger to eat with them, they never would have recognized Jesus. It reminds me of the story in Genesis where Abram and Sarai offer hospitality to three strangers, not realizing at first that they were actually entertaining the Lord and two angels. Indeed, the author of the New Testament book of Hebrews makes reference to the Genesis story when he writes, Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that some have entertained angels without knowing it. Or as I prefer the way the King James Version, I think, more poetically says it, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Here in Duncanville, we might see the face in Christ of those who make use of our little free pantry and our little free library. We may see Christ in the faces of those who walk through our property, or maybe as Janice and I were looking on Thursday, maybe using our parking lot to let their teenagers practice driving. Christ's face may be found even as we look around this sanctuary and we look into the faces of our church family. This is essentially what Jesus told us in that great parable he told of the final judgment and the separation of the sheep from the goats. He said, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. So if we bypass the least of these, then we're going to bypass Jesus. But here's the hard part. There are some faces in which it is very hard to see the face of Christ. Can we see Christ, for example, in the face of the person who tailgates us or cuts us off in traffic? Can we see the face of Christ in a person who runs their leaf blower at 6 a.m.? A particular pet peeve of mine. Can we see the face of Christ in the person who votes for that politician that we just can't stand? Can we see Christ in the face of a person who would walk into a public place with an AR-15 and start shooting people? You know, there are some sins and human shortcomings that I can at least understand perhaps because I've been tempted in that way myself, or many times it's because I've also sinned in very much that same way myself. But there are some things that I just cannot wrap my mind around, and mass shootings are one of them. And having a love affair with a semi-automatic weapon is another. There are just some faces in which it is next to impossible to discern anything resembling the face of Christ, Yet that is exactly what we are called to do. Perhaps more than anything, the faces in which it is hard to see Christ reminds us that this is a world that is deeply in need of Christ. In the last two years, this church has spent a lot of time and energy coming back from near disaster. And I think we've exceeded beyond all expectations. I know we've exceeded beyond the expectations of the conference hierarchy. But maybe it's time to think about 
how now we can now go out into the world and be the face of Christ for others. So I ask you, who or what is God placing on your heart now? Is there a need out there that Trinity could take the lead on? Are there strangers to whom God is calling us to befriend? I'm excited that Trinity has decided to rent a table at the Dallas Pride Festival at Fair Park on Saturday, June 3rd. Because there are a lot of LGBTQ folks out there who when they look at the church see anything but the face of Christ. But we have a chance now to show a different face to the world. And that's a face of love and mercy and justice. Which will in turn give us the gift of seeing the face of Christ in others. The third and final way that we can gl see glimpses of Christ like Cleopas and Mary is through sacrament. Cleopas and Mary were finally able to perceive Jesus through the acts of the Eucharist. The way Jesus took the bread and blessed it, broke it, and then gave it. In the United Methodist Church, we recognize two sacraments established by Christ, baptism and Holy Communion. Today we will celebrate Holy Communion, and later when we pray the consecration prayer called the Great Thanksgiving, I want you to look for those four movements. At one point in the prayer, I'll take the bread, we'll bless it, I will break it, and then we will give and share it to and with each other, along with the cup. Take, bless, break, and share. And through the sacrament, then we will all give and share Christ with each other. In the United Methodist Church, we believe in what is called the real presence of Christ in Holy Communion. Now, unlike our Catholic siblings, we do not believe in transubstantiation, that the, blood, excuse me, that the bread and the wine turn into the actual body and blood of Christ. But we do believe in something we call the real presence of Christ, that is, that Christ is tangibly present in the bread and in the cup. And that when we partake in Holy Communion, we are partaking in Christ. And through Holy Communion and the other sacrament baptism, we experience Christ in real and tangible ways that makes Christ's grace directly available to us. So therefore, when we participate in worship in general and in the sacraments specifically, we are in the presence of Christ. As Jesus himself said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Jesus is always walking beside us. Sometimes we see him and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we're able to finally recognize him and sometimes he remains incognito. But the more we participate in scripture, the more we offer hospitality to the stranger, and the more times we celebrate the sacrament, the more we will perceive him. There will be those times when the presence of Christ is so palpable that we can feel that burning within our hearts. Maybe even the hairs on the back of our neck will stand on end. And these experiences, they don't come that often, even for the most faithful of Christians. So, when they do happen, we must cherish them 
Treasure those moments. Meditate upon them and you'll find that those moments can help sustain you in your life and refresh you in those times, well, when the spiritual well is running low. In the meantime, remember, though, that Christ is always with us. Yes, in those moments when our hearts are burning and in those most mundane of everyday activities. But just the same, be on the lookout because you never know when Jesus is going to show up. Amen. Remember that you can always find a recording of our service. It'll always be there on our website, tumcd.org, our Facebook page, or our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. And now, receive this benediction. Christ meets us on all the roads of life, and may our fellow travelers meet Christ in us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope today's service was a blessing to you. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Join us again next Sunday as we continue to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can always access our services through our website, tumcd.org, our Facebook page, and our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. If you like what you're hearing, you can also support our ministry with your gift through our website, tumcd.org. God bless you in the week ahead, and we'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.